I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today in Pretoria is Ambassador Elif Komoglu-Ulgen, who is the Ambassador of Turkey to South Africa, Swaziland, and Lesotho. Ambassador Ulgen is a career diplomat. She joined the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in 1993 after graduating from the Faculty of Political Sciences at the University of Ankara. She has worked in Dubai, Brussels, Geneva, Islamabad, and now coming into the Southern Hemisphere of Africa. Welcome to the show, Ambassador. Thank you. Thank you very much. You are presently Ambassador of Turkey to, as I mentioned, Republic of South Africa, Swaziland, and Lesotho. Can you share with us some of the work that you do as well as the responsibilities that come with holding this position? Thank you very much. Um, This is my first ambassadorial appointment, so I'm really... Uh, as eager as I am, I'm also excited, I'm enthusiastic. I arrived around four months ago, and it was only two, three weeks ago we had the privilege and honor to submit our credentials to the president of South Africa. So now I'm full-fledged, um, you know, all f- uh, hands-on on duties. Of course, our embassy in Pretoria is one of the oldest Turkish embassies in the continent of Africa. Um, we have established diplomatic ties with uh, the Republic of South Africa uh, by 19. 19- and the embassy was opened there equally. The South African embassy was opened in Ankara. Uh, as I said, it's one of the oldest. Uh, and uh, But in the last decade, Turkey has uh, been pursuing a very comprehensive strategy towards Africa, which also had its uh, positive, um, I would say, reflections on the number of Turkish embassies all through the continent. Today we have uh, 39 embassies all through Africa. In the previous years, my predecessors were accredited to a number of sub-Saharan Africa uh, countries. Today I have the privilege to represent my country in South Africa and then in Swaziland and Lesotho because in all the other neighborhood we have I have my colleagues. Um, well, That's m- impressive. That's nearly 75% of, of the countries in, in the continent. I, indeed um, the Turkish leadership is very uh, keen to open up embassies in every African country because our strategy for Africa is has been running full-fledged for the last almost two decades, I can say, but particularly for the last 15 years now. And it really um, specifies on African needs. We have a motto that is we really look forward and support African solutions to African problems. And with that uh, ideology, we work as embassies together with a number of Turkish agencies, development agencies, humanitarian agencies, um, educational uh, institutions in a number of African countries. Particularly, I can give you, for example, example, the example of Turkish uh, projects, ongoing cooperation and collaboration in Somalia, in Sudan, in South Sudan. We do a lot of work, which is also highly appreciated by the international community and by the local populations. Well, it, of course, in South uh, South Africa, the dimension is different because South Africa is a much more um, different country when compared to the rest of the African continent. And our relationship with South Africa has always been one of a friendship uh, and close uh, cooperation. My biggest challenge, uh, I think this was one of the uh, subtitles you had 
submitted me when we were preparing for this interview, what could be my challenges, I thought. Indeed, it is really it is a challenging job by itself, being an ambassador, but it is easy in a country like South Africa, very friendly. I have been very warmly welcomed by the local authorities, by the people of South Africa. There is no prejudices against Turkey, the Turkish people in this country. We had really developed a good, friendly relationship. Tourism figures are good enough, but still, I think particularly in a number of areas like trade, like um, investments, we need uh, we need to do more. And on that side, I feel the responsibility is also on Turkey because Turkey has been in the last couple of years very heavily investing in Africa, as I said. So we are ready to do more also in South Africa. That's really going to be one challenge for me by the time uh, I leave, and I don't know when. I would really love to see the trade volume and the investment figures of of Turkish people, Turkish uh, entrepreneurs, uh, Turkish trademarks, brands, uh, more visible in the South African market. Uh, and also higher in the figures. Historically, we also have very uh, bonds that date quite back to the time of the Ottoman Empire, when in 860s, upon the request of the then um, British Queen, the Ottoman Emperor um, sent a, a religious scholar to the Cape, just for the purposes uh, of uh, educating the Muslim communities at that time living in the Cape. This was uh, Abu Bakir Efendi. The Efendi family's ties are very strong in the Cape region and in South Africa. They still, they, um, Abu Bakir Efendi remained in South Africa. And since then, of course, his family has grown up there. We, we, I mean, also as an ambassador, I try to bring this more into the surface of everyday lives of South Africans, because sometimes history is just laid back there where it stayed. But when I read more about it, I was really very very, I would say, uh, excited because there are so many things that bind us together. And then the national struggle, of course, of South Africa, the, up the struggle against apartheid. I always, the more I read about it and learn about it, I make the resemblance between the Turkish national struggle, which took 100 years ago. At that time, you know, when the empire was dis dissolved and the modern Republic of Turkey was born on the ashes of the empire, we really had a similar fight against many imperial powers at that time. People suffered the same way. Also, when you look at the role of the women, of course, 100 years ago and then some 25 years ago, or a little bit further, I was very much, I am very much impressed by the role of South African women. They have played in their fight against apartheid. Uh, for example, the date 9th of August, I just study more and want to learn more, and I really look forward to celebrate 9th it's of August uh, and in we, South Africa. I must say, we celebrate not just the 9th of August, but mm. we dedicate the whole of August exactly. as Women's it's the Women's month. month, and indeed, I'm a little bit jealous <laughs> as a Turkish... Um, uh, well, in a way, you're an honorary South African oh, being here. And, uh, for example... Another thing which um, I think I fell in love is this folk song, which became like a motto of these days when women started their march towards the union building and they just started to sing a song in their, of course, local language, but I know the, 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 the English translation. Now you have touched the women, you have struck a rock. Believe me, we have a similar um, saying, proverb in Turkey, because really touching women, hurting women, is the worst thing that humankind do in the world because the woman is strong enough really to burn the world out uh, for their for humanity 
for her, uh, but basically for her future. Yeah, and, and this, prospective exactly, generations. Exactly. And this is what has happened in South Africa. The women's role can never be underestimated. And even today, I see the very strong uh, heritage that they carry and the strong role that they play. It's very admirable, the representations at political level in, in, in real life. Of course, the problems come together with that. You can't really see any society that is rid of the problems that come along but with it's, women. It's interesting in the, the parallels. So you spoke about the dynamics happening yes. in Turkey almost 100 years ago, and it's almost as though these are phases in the evolution of a democracy on what it has to go through, that those exactly. are the challenges that one confronts. Exactly. You see, sometimes these challenges never end. Last year in Turkey, just these days, on the 15th of July 2016, I was in Ankara myself, when we have been through a terrible nightmare. There was a coup attempt. It was a we were all shocked. We thought in a Turkey in 2016, nothing like such um, characteristic could ever happen, but it happened. And in Ankara, Ankara is a landlocked city. That was the reason that it was chosen as a capital during the years of our national struggle. Our national parliament building was bombed. The presidential palace was bombed. The place that I was living was just across the national broadcasting company. Company. I've seen people running in the street and being killed by tanks by our own Turkish military personnel. Unfortunately, it was it was a coup attempt. Um, held, you know, and the responsibles were very unfortunate. They were Turkish people belonging to a cult. Now we call them as a terrorist organization, the Fethullah Gülen group. This thing happened, and women, women like myself, others, we went to the streets. And even last year, in 2016, we've seen the role of women, men and women, who just, you know, ignored their life just to save the democracy. And today, actually next week, we will be commemorating all around the world on our embassies, but also in Turkey. We will just pay our respect and gratitude to all our martyrs who had lost their lives in the fight for uh, democracy and saving the nation, even as as recent as last year. So this struggle then. goes on forever. <laughs> Turning towards more of your responsibilities in, in this capacity, I was quite interested when you, you mentioned that there's a, a significant penetration of uh, Turkish embassies across the continent. Mm -hmm. And I'd like it if you could expand on some of the collaborations or projects that you're working on. You mentioned briefly that there's yes. work in Somalia. Exactly. So if you can talk more about that, please. Oh, yeah. Turkey has a very keen interest, as I said, to bring African solutions to African mm -hmm. problems problems. So in that sense, we really look from a different angle when compared to many other countries' perspectives, or I would say uh, rather, indeed, there is a very, very outstanding work, piece of work that was done by SAIA, the prominent uh, think tank of South African International Relations Institution. There they compare the Turkish development program in Somalia to the South African development program in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, I'd recently had read that, read that report, very much impressed and very well done to everybody who had really spent efforts on this. There, uh, Turkey is looked upon as a southern partner in terms of providing um, uh, development aid, for example. So we have really this very different perspective. As I think I should once again underline the examples in Somalia. Somalia is a war-torn country. It is a unfortunately on the verge of a being failed state. They have perennial conflict, but we can't leave Somalia as it is, because it is, it is a risk for the whole region, for the whole world, but not only from a security perspective, uh, the Turkish 
government, the Turkish leadership, looks with a very humanitarian perspective to Somalia. We also have very strong historical bonds with Somalia. So that's why, like a decade ago, we decided to build up a very strong program, which then really could change things in Somalia and more or less we, we kind of find ourselves successful. Of course there is a very long way to walk uh, for the government of Somalia but the Turkish government will never leave them alone and we are really together with the international community of course. The international community is also investing a lot. Um, in South Sudan very very recently so they have been fighting with the droughts in Tanzania, in Kenya, in number of uh, countries, in Guinea, in Senegal. The Turkish Development uh, Agency, TICA, has now becoming an, almost a brand in Africa. It's very unfortunate that they are still not yet in South Africa, but the government has taken the decision that TICA will soon open up a branch office, also in South Africa, um, which will then work very much closely with those communities, particularly vulnerable communities, who really are in need of humanitarian, very basic needs, like drinking water or like uh, medical services for newborns, mothers, women. Uh, of course, it also relates to the economic development that you have in your country. Thanks God, despite all this political turmoil we have been going through since last year, the Turkish economy kept growing. Even uh, the last quarter of 2016, we have registered the growth of 3.9, which is an impressive figure when compared to the region. And in for Europe. a developed country. Yes, yes. Uh, exactly. So uh, it's it's always a priority for Turkey to share whatever he she has with those who are really in need. And in that sense, we are also very much similar to, uh, with South Africa is trying to do in, his, in, in, in this part of the world. That's why I see a lot of potential, and that's why also one of my challenges, and not a real challenge, but efforts, is to bring more contacts between South Africa and Turkey at every level. So you're doing a lot of, of bridging. There's a lot of mm -hmm. humanitarian work, yes. uh, improvements in terms of the trade links and economic components. Turning more towards the nature of, of womanity, women and unity, mm -hmm. our program is all about gender equality. And you know, during the course of the conversation, we obviously highlight uh, certain areas uh, that are pertinent to the topic. Mm. And one area which... I found quite impressive within the African context is about drives in terms of having women empowerment and gender equality legislation. Um, and I wanted to find out from a Turkish perspective, what is the state of gender equality? Oh, it is also a very topical issue in, in Turkey. We have uh, a ministry dedicated to the women issues and social affairs, including family and children. Um, but very frankly, uh, when I see the situation and the legislative structure of South Africa, starting from your constitution, I think Turkey is not as strong as what South Africa has managed. This is also partly the debate in Turkey still rests whether uh, women should really fight for their rights rather than being really uh, given or granted I would say things that are to some still being considered as a positive discrimination. This debate intellectually is everywhere indeed. I remember when I was working at the UN we also had these kinds of debates but as a woman and considering myself as a strong woman because I have the career, I have uh, a name, I can, I can have my own decisions but I think even we must think about the least, the weakest 
of all in the society. And from that yes. perspective, I see such legislation very valuable. As I said, Turkey does have such legislation which protect, protects the women. But in a political sphere, for example, the debates about introducing quotas, this has been a long issue in the political sphere, but finally including with also the support of some of the women associations, uh, it was decided that quotas should not be introduced into the Turkish political system. But apparently, uh, it is really quite uh, also frustrating in terms of comparing South African, let's say, parliamentary figures to the Turkish parliamentarian outlook in terms of gender equality. Unfortunately, currently, the Turkish parliament is, is really at a very lower level representing has a female representation when compared to many European countries and particularly also in South Africa. Uh, I know the debate about a 50-50 percentage. Maybe it's really, for me, it's like a dream. But why not? We should work for that. But honestly, as a woman myself, and I really put the question to myself, Intellectually, my answer would be that if I want to take part in politics, then I do work for myself. And I know that there are opportunities in my country, everywhere, for any woman just to climb up the ladder up in high. We had female uh, heads of governments in Turkey as well. We have a number of, of course, Turkish female ministers. Uh, but I think increasingly now there is a tendency in Turkey that many women do not feel themselves or are not interested in the political sphere. It so is they, very they unfortunate. They don't identify For example, it. in the last decade, we have an influx of women running for the posts of, uh, uh, you know, academic, acad being trying to become academicians, you know, going to medical faculties so that they turn out to become medical doctors. I can give the example of the foreign ministry, for example. The Turkish foreign ministry is one of the oldest institutions which we have inherited from the Ottoman Empire, and it was always looked upon as a male institute. You know, until the 1970s, 1980s, we only had male ambassadors. It was only in the beginning of 1980s we had our first female ambassador sent to Strasbourg uh, Council of Europe. Um, and since then, it took really very slow, almost two decades, 20 years. We had only a few, three or four. But my generation, we joined the ministry in the early 1990s. And at the time of joining, our promotions were always like 50-50, 50, 50, 50 boys and 50 girls. So they were quite what conscious at the end. After 20 years, now Turkey has a very competitive figure in terms of female diplomats when compared to many of our European, uh, you know, um, European foreign ministries. Currently, Turkey has more than 50 female ambassadors. I can tell you a number of them are in Africa. I have around 10 colleagues serving in Africa, female colleagues. Turkey has 39 embassies all through Africa continent, and currently, which are not retired, 50 female ambassadors, which is really an impressive figure for a country like Turkey, who has come from 20 years ago with like one ambassador, female ambassador. Today, in 2017, we end. This really is the desire of the woman. I remember my generation, really, we were very eager. We pushed the system. And as long as the system does not discriminate against you, then you just go through it. And did you find that because there were a significant number of you that that helped exactly. galvanize exactly. and exactly. drive One or truth. two of us do not make a change. If we are a bunch, 
then you will see the change. This goes also for the politics. Mm. I wait for that kind of an evolution in Turkish political system because we need a group of women, but a quite strong, good group of women who are really very eager to just break the taboo. It's not a taboo, as I said. We have, of course, female, uh, and I'm very well connected to, f- to a few of them. Uh, one of them is indeed uh, the, the, the representative, because in the Turkish parliamentary system we have friend, uh, friendship groups. One of the female um, uh, parliamentarian, she's representing South Africa there, and hopefully I look forward to bring her along to this country to meet her counterparts. But yeah, I think when compared legislatively, we have to look upon South African example more. <laughs> so almost be. bringing African solutions mm-hmm. into, yes, Turkish into the Turkish scenarios. Sphere. <laughs> We chatted briefly about quotas, and I, I took the point that it was not accepted within the Turkish mm-hmm. realm. But what do you think about legislation in relation to closing gender gaps, so whether that relates to pay, promotions, or positions? Very important. This kind of legislation we have in mm-hmm. Turkey, for the last uh, in the last decade, Turkey has been, uh, of course, very closely in a rela- Turkey is a candidate country for the European Union, and this has been for the last 15 years or so onwards. And in that period, we have done a lot of legislative work, which um, uh, aligns Turkish legislation with European Union legislation. So in that sense, also, there has been a number of new pieces of legislation introduced, which talks about also the the closure of the gender gap. Uh, But also Turkey has even went beyond, because I remember a couple of years ago, I'm a mother of three boys. At the time I delivered my first son, this was 15 years ago, the legislation was in such a way that if you are a working mother, if you are a government officer, you couldn't ask for a maternal leave which would exceed a paid maternal leave, which would exceed 40 days, like six weeks. So at the first delivery, I had only had the opportunity to be with my baby in the first 40 days, and afterwards I just returned back to my job. Otherwise you would lose the work. Uh, No, I wouldn't lose the work, but I would lose the money and, of course, the status because... Yeah, your your promotion and developing your career. By the time I have delivered my second one, this was in 2006, the legislation had been amended. Now Turkey is one of the is having one of the best maternal legislations in Europe, which uh, foresees a four months paid leave, and then additional two months, which is like adding up to it is a period for feeding your child and everything. During that time, you enjoy. You can enjoy half day, like you go to the work and then in the afternoons you are at home. And then afterwards, you can ask for another additional six months unpaid leave, which is in which case you become unpaid, but you don't lose your status. This, of course, made a lot of change. Uh, Maybe it also encouraged me to make a third delivery. (laughs) But really... These things also very much encourage women, working women especially, because as a woman, you want to do everything. Sometimes people come up with arguments like, don't try to become a superwoman, don't try to do everything at all. But I think it is in our nature that we are super creatures. We really give birth, we, are, we become mothers, we become wives, we become really the people who take care of the elderly in the family. Then we do really a lot of work. We want to serve to our countries, serve to our countries, companies and we want to do everything together we want to be a nice host and hostess when it comes to hosting people at home so this is in our nature it is not really trying to become a superwoman or not but in that sense the legislative structure should really support the super nature of the female but it's also allowing you to embrace 
all the opportunities exactly. that you have exactly. and not restricting you to, to this. Yes, we're multidimensional. Fulfill. Exactly, multidimensional, very much so. <laughs> that leads me on to a topic that I find mm. quite interesting. It's a subject that I almost term as uh, man's hours, <laughs> where I see the working world as, as mm. being designed around a, a space which, which typically operates between the, the eight till five. Mm -hmm. But as a result, we almost have half of society losing the best multitaskers, i.e. it's women from the workforce, mm -hmm. due to traditional expectations from women to reform their work timetables according to their family needs. What's your view of that? I, lo I loved that question, yes. actually, in your, in your interview. I, because I have, I've, I've been one woman, I've been experienced all these men working hours in my career. I worked many years in Brussels at a Turkish mission to NATO and to the European Union. These are two bureaucratic big structures where really you can, as an individual, can't change the rules, but you just become one of those who just participate. In NATO, for example, I was uh, assuming very heavy military work, and I was always sitting around the table with all men, sometimes in uniform, sometimes in suits, but all men. And it's a military organization. And we were all discussing very hardcore security military issues. At a time when I was pregnant to my third one, uh, I was eight months pregnant and around the table, you know, starting from morning hours until midnight, nonstop, we were discussing the military operation of NATO that it was preparing to undertake in Libya, for example. And, you know, you can't really leave literally even your seat. In those, uh, in those times, I really kind of suffered, but I didn't give up because I knew that if I had just left that seat, another male colleague of mine would just fulfill that seat. And that's, so for, that's in a literal sense. Is, exactly. So, but, but there were, later on, a year after that, I was assigned as consul general in Dubai. Of course, at that time, I was head of a mission, and Dubai's work schedule was different because as a consul general, I had to socialize with the business people, with the Turkish community there. So I had the opportunity to just reschedule my agenda. What I did was I was waking up as early as, you know, the kids were going to the school, was going to my office, doing all my appointments, meeting all people, and then at the time that the children were coming back from the school, I was at home, like, let's say, around afternoon hours, 4 or 5 p.m. Then we were having dinner together with them. I was able to give them their bath, you know, put them into their beds. And then around 7.30, 8 o'clock, the evening schedule started for me because as the consul general, I had to do a lot of social presences, you know, attending dinners, receptions. But it worked so perfect. Then I thought, you know, why don't we work like this even in places like NATO or, or other capitals or back at home even? At the more, you know, Ministry of Foreign Affairs normally in Ankara, we work from 8 until 8, which is like 12 hours working without a break. And you really don't, literally there had been nights and days I hadn't seen my children because they were waking up early. Coming at the time I arrived, they were already at their bed. Of course. So, but there should be really... I hope we can work on these things because it is the same energies that you spend and the same, um, I would say, business-wise, you deliver the same amount of responsibilities that you're supposed to deliver. But then because you manage the time better, you have time for your children, for yourself as well. But it is always a challenge. It will always remain as a challenge. The hours are manly. What can we do so? <laughs> well, I think exactly like the example that you gave when you were in Dubai in terms of being able mm. to restructure time to accommodate mm -hmm. 
all of our needs because exactly. as you say you can achieve everything mm-hmm. within the same 24 hour exactly. cycle exactly maybe in the corporate uh, positions this is more difficult because like in also corporate companies also like places like international organizations but yeah maybe we should start thinking about these things because um, it really makes life better and the the feedback is far mm. higher and better mm. And the reality is that with the technology we have at our, yes. at our disposal. Sometimes this technology is killing us. So I remember my boys just warning me like, Mom, stop, you know, sending out emails when you are sitting with us. This is a big problem. <laughs> so encroaching on, on time mm-hmm. that it's taking. Mm-hmm. You were listening to Humanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective, on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today, we're talking to Ambassador Elif Komoglu-Ulgen, who is the Ambassador of Turkey to South Africa, Swaziland, and Lesotho. Ambassador, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on this program who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise is about the factors that have contributed to their success. So some speak, people speak about the hard work they've invested. Others talk about uh, role models. Can you tell us, in your opinion, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? <laughs> well, of course, I, th- I thought about this question as well, and I really don't want to be boring but the first thing that, that that came to my mind, which I drew from my own experience, is really work hard. That is for sure. You have to work hard even if you are a man or a woman or a child. It's because a hygiene wo- factor. It's, it's a hygiene factor. So you have to really be serious about everything. Not that, you know, you of course have to have the time to have fun, enjoy yourself, but always take things seriously. It will really, at the end of the day, make your life easier. And the second thing is, I think, don't shy away. Always speak up and uh, don't give up. I think these three things have been very important in my own personal life. Because, you know, as a girl, I had also a brother. And in my family, of course, I was very lucky because my parents, particularly my father, had really invested in me. He and also my parents, we were always encouraged to, to go to universities, to go to better schools, to have a better education, and then to really take our roles properly in the society. And me, I'm, I'm a little bit maybe an old school person, but especially in countries like yours, in ours, not only your parents, the society itself invests in you. If you turn out to become a good person, a man or woman, for your own country, then you pay back. Otherwise, all the education, all the things that have been spent during your childhood on you are wasted. This is a little bit of an old school and maybe a very pro-state thinking, but this is the mentality that I still have and I try to inject onto my children. You know, if we are able to feed our children, give them a good education, they should be able to deliver it back for the younger generations, for their people, for the humanity, for their country, for themselves as well. So my advice, especially to younger girls, and sometimes I'm also invited to speak when I was in Turkey in the in the ministry to our younger colleagues and so on and so forth. Of course, when you look at your life, it seems like, oh, it's a long, you know, 20, 30, 40 years away. No, in fact, it's not like that. When you are there at the moment where I do stay and look at back, it has been just, you know, went through in a glimpse. So spend your time very well. Have fun, exactly. Love, eat, enjoy, dance, but at the same time do something which can then later on you can cherish and you can tell and you can be proud of. 
And for that, you will always have obstacles. Life is not easy, even for the most, you would think, richest or the most wealthy or the most famous people. Life is full of challenges. I think the ideal thing is really just to stand up, be stubborn. I was very stubborn on everything <laughs> and don't give up. Especially for women, this works very much because you don't even need to be well educated just to ask for your rights. Ask for the things that as a young girl, as a young woman, you have to have. Ask for them. Don't shy away. People will always discourage, especially young girls. When I look at even now at the classrooms, there is always more pressure on the girls. That's how I feel in terms of an implicit discouragement. Don't be discouraged. You can do everything your boy, you know, male friends can do. That is really what I have experienced. And the multitasking thing that we were talking, this is also proven, I think, physically that women's brain is very much available for multitasking. <laughs> I can also see it as the mother of three boys and, you know, comparing, the, you know, st their brain to the girls. You know, I ask them one thing to do at a time. If I keep asking a couple of things, they are just confused. This equally goes to my male colleagues and my, my even my husband, whom I very much respect, honestly. This multitasking thing is very important. Also, when you are in a working life in business, you see the difference between, you know, people between genders. I think that's an important dynamic. I'm a very dynamic. sexist speaker, you see. <laughs> I apologize from all my male <laughs> <laughs> colleagues and listeners. But this is how I see it. You're just <laughs> highlighting a skill which exactly. uh, is exactly. inherent to many women. <laughs> We've spoken about those success factors. Can you share with us if there have been any particularly strong women in your life that have impacted uh -huh. on you? That's very true. Uh, yes, of course, my mother... Uh, my grandma, grandparents, uh, grandmothers, uh, they have, as I said, they have struggled themselves in their lives and they have just brought us at, as equal partners, even sometimes more equal than our brothers and, and male co cousins. And um, there is yet another woman in my life which I would like to highlight. She is the nanny of my children. Our paths just crossed coincidentally. She was a woman, a Turkish woman, elder than me. But life has treated her very bad, you know. She was betrayed by her husband after, you know, delivering some uh, 20 years of marriage. And, you know, she left him and get a divorce without getting a penny. So all of a sudden she kind of found herself without Destitute. nothing. And somehow in those days our paths crossed. I was looking for a nice Turkish lady who could really take care of my newborn. And I was getting a posting abroad, so I wanted to bring her with me. So she decided to join the family. She is with us for the last 15 years. I've seen, and still, of course, it, by the time she, at that time she was not, even speaking to none of his family, her family members, because because she asked for the divorce of that horrible husband, most of her family members refused to talk to her. This is a very typical issue in, in you know, societies like ours. So in the last 15 years, she really built up his relationship with his children, of course not with his old husband, but she still is a very strong woman. I kind of, when I look at her, and she is basically one of the main reasons I have three children in such a career. Uh, so that's why uh, when I look at her, I see really, I see hope, a lot of hope in women, particularly in Turkish women as well. There are so many examples like her everywhere, I believe. And I would say dependency and the woman's network 
way yes. to allow that yes. in, you've got that supportive infrastructure to enable you to do the job that you do exactly but I think anybody even a woman like her she hadn't had a job she hadn't had a penny but she was able to survive you know somehow of course there was a coincidence that but there are so many other good examples lessons learned that maybe we should build on these and I think losing hope is the worst thing that can happen to a human being, particularly to a woman. We must never lose our hope because life is full of surprises and the women instinct is making these things happen easier. <laughs> Besta, we are unfortunately running out of time. <laughs> that was a lovely talk. <laughs> can I please ask you, as we close out, mm-hmm. to share a, a few words of inspiration or wisdom which you would like to pass on to women who are listening to us today. Oh, thank you. Um, at the beginning of this interview, I made this reference to this folk song, which I really, I always have it in my mind, like now you've touched the woman, uh, you've struck a rock. I think this word can become an inspiration. This, this whole sentence is an inspiration for us. We shouldn't let anybody touch us in the way that we don't want them to touch us, both physically but also mentally. Because as women, we, are, we look very naive. We look uh, quite vulnerable physically. But indeed, we are very strong. We are very strong by heart. We are very strong mentally, as you said, genetically, physically. So we should always think of those strengths that we have. And if something bad happens to us, against all odds, we should never give up. Stand up, talk about it, go on it, go on it, over it, try to come over it, and make other people hear about the situation. Uh, it is not maybe, it does not look very inspirational, but these things have always been my mottos. Even in a work day, you can spend a horrible day. You can have some fights with your bosses. You can have your ideas being killed with other people. But don't give up. There is always a way where you can put things in another way and make your desires to come true. And I do believe this is true for all women in the world. Of course, not all of us have the same opportunities. That's why people like us have to do more for our for others and I'm ready to do my share and it's with this vision that I really look forward to do also some work in in South Africa particularly also the responsibility rests with me as the first female Turkish ambassador in this country I really look forward and I really I'm eager to be part of any project that can really touch the everyday lives of of ordinary women in this country. And on that note, I must say that from Womanity, Woman and Unity, we will support you in any way we can in terms of of those initiatives as the first female ambassador of Turkey (laughs) to South Africa. Thank you. So thank you very much for sharing your time with us and relaying your stories, experiences and expectations and hopes for the future. (laughs) Thank you very much. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, and we have been talking to Ambassador Elif Komoklu-Ulgen, who is the Ambassador of Turkey to South Africa, Swaziland and Lesotho.